Welcome back to the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and it's good to be with you. We're glad that you're here. You're going to grow. You're going to get better today. We're all going to do that because we have none other than David Horsager with us today. David hopes to make a dent in the global trust crisis by developing trusted leaders in organizations. He's a guy that I've followed for a long time. He has one of the top podcasts when it comes to leadership and leadership development, the Trusted Leader Show. So I'm a longtime fan of David's and the work that he puts out into the world. You should also know this about him. David is the best-selling author of The Trust Edge. David is the CEO of the Trust Edge Leadership Institute and director of one of the nation's foremost trust studies, The Trust Outlook. We're going to talk about that today. With decades of research and by working with organizations including FedEx, Toyota, Global Governments, check this out, the New York Yankees, and the Department of Homeland Security, David has captured the full picture of leadership both personally and professionally. If you're looking to grow as a leader, today's conversation is for you. This is a podcast that helps people go farther, faster in their leadership journey. Personally, David is married. He's a father to four children. He's the youngest of six children, actually grew up in one of the poorest uh, counties in Minnesota comes from kind of a rural background, just like me. We share that in common. He's a man of faith, loves his family dearly, and uh, he's a man with many friends, driving a huge impact. David, we're so glad that you're with us. Thank you for joining the Montgomery Companies podcast. Jordan, thanks so much for having me. Excited about this time together. Well, listen, man, you are known as a foremost expert when it comes to this idea of building trust, creating trust, establishing trust. You've got so much to share and the reality is I wish we could do 10 episodes together because I know there's so much in you that we want to pull out. With the short time that we have, we're going to lean into some of the lessons that you've learned over the years as you've studied this topic of trust. And my first question for you is, what is the greatest lesson you've learned about this topic of building trust with others? I would say this, and it's actually the reason I wrote the my last book called Trusted Leader is I believe, I hope without any ego, but work on six continents, putting out one of the biggest studies in the world on trust, you know, my grad work, going back a long time, I believe trust is always the root issue. Most people are solving the wrong issue. They call it the wrong thing, so they solve the wrong thing. And uh, so, you know, for example, I believe at the core, with due respect to many of our dear friends, as you know, uh, it's never a leadership issue. The only reason you follow a leader or not has something to do with trust. Unless it's a dictator with a gun, that's not leadership, right? So it's always how much I trust a leader. That's the influence. Influence is born of, of trust. If, if It's never a sales issue at the core. The only reason I buy has something to do with trust in the content, the, I mean, excuse me, the, the, the person or the service or something. Even if I don't trust the person and I'm in a desert going to die and they have some water, I might trust the product enough to, to take a risk, right? There's something to do with trust. It's not, a, it's not a learning issue in the classroom. The only way to increase learning in, in our kids' classroom is increase trust in either the teacher, the content, or the psychological safety or trust of the room. It's never a diversity, equity, inclusion issue at the core. It's at the core, one of the biggest Harvard studies shows diversity on its own tends to pit people against each other in some way unless you increase trust. We don't amplify a marketing message in any other way other than increasing trust in the message. We don't increase innovation on a team unless we increase trust because then people will share ideas, get creative and innovate. If they don't trust each other, they're too scared to and they won't. So at the core, I think the, you know, the first big finding for me was it's a trust issue. And when I can solve for that, then I can actually solve the real issue. And so we found 
you know, this finding, I think that was interesting back, you know, many years when no one was really researching trust in, in, in this way and how it affects the bottom line. I think back then, now you have a lot of people talking about trust, researching trust. Most people are talking about it, you know, there's with and mostly without research. But, um, you know, they're starting to see this core issue, how trust is not a soft skill, how it affects the bottom line more than anything else. And so when we solve for that, we're solving the real issue. And anyway, after we had this why, then we found this, well, how do you actually build it? And that gets interesting too. So what do you believe is the greatest challenge facing leaders today? You're working with leaders in sports and business and government. What do you believe is the greatest challenge facing leaders today building trust? Well, it's, you know, there's there's macro issues like um, change is going super fast. Yesterday I was in in healthcare and they would say their biggest <clears throat> issue is attrition, retention of people. I mean, they, they're going to call it different things in their space. And we solved that issue with trust. Like we've had people say they tripled sales using our method. We had the first big organization we knew we had something with was they said they saved two to four million in attrition costs in nine months using this trust work. But um, there's you know, we could say it's attrition, we could say it's sales, we could say it's engagement, we could say net promoter score even. You don't get referrals with referrals. We found from the research, you only increase referrals when you increase trust. So if they increase trust, mm -hmm. then they can get more referrals. But maybe on a macro level, since you're asking kind of big thinking here, I'll say in the world, you know, we've had this journey of trust and institutional trust has tanked. So, you know, a long time ago, it was localized. I trust you, you know, here because I know you. I don't trust over there because they're over the hill, right? We don't, there's two big reasons we don't trust. I don't know them or I do know you and, and I don't trust you because I know you, right? But basically <laughs> it's, it's local. Then it became institutionalized by frameworks and foundational, like slower moving things like government, education, media. They were, it was formalized. So uh, before, before uh, Watergate, about 80% of Americans almost trusted our government to do basically what was right. Now that's, I believe less than 7%. Now, what's happened? The institution is not trusted. In fact, we're incentivizing a lack of trust in our government these days. Uh, you can see it happen with things like what happened when people reach across party lines to try to get something done and work together. They might get stripped of committee assignments. It's tragic. You'll see things happen like people did to, to Cheney. Anybody that outs, you know, has another voice or opinion, um, uh, you, you can see this happen by, you know, 80 years ago, a Republican and a Democrat would, would meet together after they duked it out on the floor and have a dinner. They never meet together now. They certainly don't jump on the train together and, and, and take a, a multi-day ride back to California and, and get to know each other on a human level. There's a mm. lot of ways we're incentivizing against it. So trust is down steeply in government, but institutional trust, every institution, like media is like 2% now. Like uh, I believe after the law, that passed under Reagan in, I believe it was uh, 87, and then in 96 under Clinton, those two uh, acts basically took away accountability from media mm -hmm. and we're reaping those benefits today of you don't have to tell the truth in media. Mm -hmm. You don't have to tell the truth. It can be a show and uh, people like entertainment more than they like truth, it turns out. And so that's why movies are way more watched than documentaries as an example. And so all of mm -hmm. a sudden, um, we used to have the news, now we have, your news, your news, your news, and it's not, there's no truth that's, that's counted on. So media is down steeply. Education, same thing. When I grew up, homeschooling was weird, right? Now, homeschooling, charter schooling, the institution of education, the institution of um, church, uh, you know, of, of faith, uh, you know, used to be uh, 80, almost the same number of people say they believe in God as did 80 years ago in America, and yet any 
metric that would show it. Going to a place of worship, giving to a place of worship is down steeply. Food, farming. I grew up in farming, right, where we had food. You know, think of red kidney beans like you have in Chile. We used to raise semi-loads of red kidney beans. Nowadays, the restaurant wants to know it was grown right outside the door. It was picked with white gloves and kissed every time it was taken off the leaf, right? It's like you, you, you don't trust the institution, you trust this intimate thing. So move to distributed trust like blockchain and Uber, and then we now we're moving back to kind of localized trust again, which is where you get nationalism and Brexit and a host of other things. So one thing to note, I guess, for people as far as a big change that you asked about is, is institutional trust. If you're an institution, you've got to change the way you're doing things because the it, institutional trust is down mm. steeply. So good. Trust is at the core of nearly every conflict that we experienced. Your best-selling book, The Trust Edge, you've got eight principles. You talk about building trust, and of course, we don't have time to go through all Fine. eight principles. I'd love you to speak about two of them, specifically clarity and commitment. And this is heavy note-taking time because yeah. what you're about to talk about is important for every single leader listening, whether you're an emerging leader, whether you've been leading for a long time, so important that in today's world, we lean into clarity and commitment. And here's why. David, tell us why. Well, let me say this first. The framework is, it turns out that it's for clarity. They're all those eight or C words, but don't be kind of duped into thinking, oh, this is a motivational book that's all alliterative. They each represent a very important research funnel. And these eight, when you get to know them from Trust Edge or the new book, Trusted Leader has another take on them. They, they are the ways trust is built globally. These mm. solve the core issue. And why we're going to start with clarity. So I want people to see this. I will say, um, if you want to solve the real issue, you can't, like I said, you don't get engagement with engagement. You don't get referrals with referrals. You don't get this. And by the same token, you don't get, people say, David, you love C words when they see all the pillars, right? You love C words. Is it ever a communication issue? Ladies and gentlemen, at the core, it is never, ever, 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 ever a communication issue. It's the type. So when you go through the pillars, Clarity, clear communication is trusted. You're communicating all the time. Unclear communication is not trusted. Consistent is trusted, inconsistent isn't. Compassion is trusted, hateful communication is. Competent communication is trusted, incompetent isn't. So first thing I would say is get to know these eight, whether you ever use us, hire us, have us consult or measure trust in your organization or just get all our free stuff from afar, which we would love to give you. You gotta define it right. And that is why clarity and commitment are two of the eight and clarity solves a lot of what people call communication issues, but it helps you get to the real issue. So clarity. People trust the clear and they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous or the overly complex. Where I was a professor, we love to look complex. We kind of look smart. Whenever we overcomplexify, we lose clarity, which always loses trust today. And I'm telling you, we could talk about clarity for two days. I do it in organizations. It's a massive pillar. There's strategic clarity, how we from mission, vision, values, priorities, all the way down to doing things to, um, you know, communication side of clarity, how we communicate clearly, right? That that type increases what people mean by communication. So so it's really important. Clarity wins. Clarity, you know, is kind. Clarity. Is, and yet most strategy organizations and marketing organizations that I know today are not clear at the level I'm talking about. So. Um, maybe I'll give, I can, we, we have so many tips and takeaways and frameworks. Should I give a couple here? Or what do you Please think? Please do. Yes, okay. David. Absolutely. So I'll start with a, I'll start with a simple one. Okay. On the communication side. I, um, I started my work. I, I, I was uh, in another, um, 
as leader of an organization that I was younger than almost all my staff. It was in a very different area that I, then I, I didn't know anybody and all this. And I wasn't getting what I wanted from my team. And finally, I, I thought, whose fault was it? Uh, mine. And I got absolutely clear about what I wanted. And here's a little framework I've learned to use that has helped me in this area. Simple framework. Remember, I love research. I don't want just motivational whatever, but I wanted to come out of research. But I need to make it simple so that I will use it tomorrow. On the farm I grew up on, if the shovel doesn't work, you know, it's it, it's got to be something I can use. So here's a simple, simple, one simple idea. ODC, not OCD, ODC. So if I'm managing anybody or leading anybody, I simply for expectations on any project kind of simply go through ODC. Have I given a clear outcome? Many people are clear about like all these things they want to, you know, that, that aren't about the outcome. You've hired good people. Of course, based on their experience, you have to coach more or less. But in any case, if you can start with the outcome, this is what it look, this is what I see. This is what I want at the end of the day. This I don't want. Then they'll tend to get there. A lot of times we start in, in talking about a lot of other things and not the outcome. Oh, outcome. What's it look like? The D stands for deadline. Many leaders and managers don't give a deadline because they're afraid it will lead to conflict when not giving a deadline will ensure you get conflict. So I'm talking about a deadline. And by the way, some people will push back right here and say, well, yeah, I don't even know how long this will take. Fine. We don't always as leaders know how long everything will take, but you can give a deadline. So can I see the next step on this by 10 a.m. on Friday instead of saying, can I see that soon? Can I see that whenever? Like, can I see we're at on 10 a.m. on Friday? Can I see this phase done by um, the next meeting? Can I see whatever? If I can give a deadline, it gives everybody peace, right? And the, the C on ODC stands for clarifiers. Have I given room are you, are you clear about this? Am I clear? Are we clear? And you give a little space to make sure, let them spit it back. By the way, this can work at home, anywhere, right? All these things that we teach, it's, it's life. Like I was thinking about my daughters. At one point, we didn't have the same clarity on what a clean room looked like. So, <laughs> uh, so to ODC it, I just said, well, what's the outcome we want? I don't want to be an exacerbating dad. I just want to give some, you know, something here. So let's just call a clean room. Your dresser doesn't have to be clean. Your closet doesn't have to be clean. Let's just call it two things. Let's just say it's no clothes on the floor. You know what clothes look like? Oh, it turns out we do. Okay. Floor. Yep. You know what that? Okay. No clothes on the floor. And um, the bedspread or comforter pulled up over your pillow, the top sheet, top thing, right? I don't know what's going on underneath, but let's just have that <laughs> happen, right? So we got two things. So now we know, okay, an outcome is this. And by the way, Maybe I might, as a parent, do it one time. I'm, I'm going to clean the room. I'm going to clean the floor. I'm going to put the pull the. This is what it looks like. Are we clear? There's the outcome. Okay, good. Now the deadline. Um, it's going to be before you ask to do anything else on Saturdays, or 10 a.m. at the latest. If it's not done, then there's a consequence, right? So, so now instead of discuss, and then you live room. Are we clear? Are you, yep, we're clear. We're committed. We got it. Yep, we understand the consequence. Now. Then when they say at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, hey, we want to go to this friend. They're coming out. They're biking over. Like, great. Is your room clean? We have the same image. Should, they can go look on their own. Oh, clean means these two things. It doesn't mean this. I don't have to work all day, but I've got these two things done. We, we have the same image. It's one simple idea, but it turns out that a lack of clarity is the number one reason for conflict in organizations. And if you can simply increase clarity, you lower conflict. Boy, I don't know. We're rolling here. One other idea I'll try to give because it's so critical, and that is this. Under clarity, what are the three questions? There's so many, like I said, there's so many parts to clarity, right? 
We teach a 90-day quick plan. We teach MVP. We teach three priorities or less. We teach all these things. But one idea that has helped people triple sales in 90 days, and it is the way I lost 50 pounds in, in, nine, in five months, it's, a, it's the way we talk about taking an idea to an action. Okay? Mm. How do I actually take an idea to an action? I need hope. I need clarity. What's a process? Well, there are three questions you need to ask to take an idea to an action. Let me just start with what they're not. Some of you might say, well, we love the Simon Sinek work of why, have a purpose, have a why. That's great. Have a why. No doubt about it. It's good. If you don't have a why on a project, you might not last three days on it. That's not the question, though, that takes an idea to an action. You've already asked the why. Well, what about Colin's work? Get the right who's on the bus, right? Great. Ask who. You want the right who's? Fine. That's a good question, and there's a place for that. The problem I see is we still have buses full of really fun who's singing kumbaya about their why going right off the cliff because they're not doing what I'm going to talk about, okay? So get your why, get your who's. Um, here's the three questions. Number one, we got that idea. We want to we wanna lose that weight. We want to triple the sale. We want to have a better relationship with our daughter, whatever it is. How are you going to do it? Number one, how? Number two is way more important. How? And number three is the most important question of all, which is how? You have to ask how at least three times. It might take seven. How, 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 how? And here's how long we ask how. Until a person will do something by today or tomorrow. And people mm. will push back on me. Procter & Gamble, Walmart, big companies with 52 rocks and 32 goals and all this complication, a government pushback. And with all those organizations that we worked with, they were able to get it. In fact, I had a guy, a senior CEO, a C-suite person from one of the biggest companies in the world say it took four 90-minute sessions with me and he finally said, I get the how-how-how. This sounds easy, it's not. How-how-how-how-how. We can't say, oh, I want to I wanna have a better culture. How are you going to do that? Oh, we're going to be nice. Oh, great. How are you going to do that? Uh, we're going to appreciate people more. Good idea. Do I trust you? Not for a second. How are you going to appreciate? Tell someone tells me they're going to write a note every day by 10 a.m. I don't trust them. I'm going to, you know, uh, I can tell stories upon stories about this exact idea and how it's changed people and massive. The second biggest healthcare organization in North America when they finally got clarity and started driving a how, how, how organization. How are you going to do that? Because most people stop too early and nobody does anything. Mm. We're going to mm. communicate more. I, I, I Here's a big company. He said, oh, we need a better culture. And we had done all this work with him, CEO. And I said, great, how are you gonna have a better culture? Well, David, you started with that clarity, that clarity pillar, we're, we're gonna be more clear. I said, great, how are you gonna be more clear? Sat down with his senior leadership team, a former Harvard graduate, stood up and answered the question by saying, we're gonna communicate more. Do I honor him in front of his team? Of course. Do I trust him? Not for a second. How are you gonna communicate more? Uh, we're gonna hold each other accountable. Oh my goodness. How many times have I heard that and they don't even know what accountability means, right? We have a framework, by the way, if people would like it for healthy accountability. Most people have no accountability or don't have healthy accountability. But I said, great, how are you going to hold each other accountable? And we got down seven times, seven times, and he gets to something he could do today or tomorrow. Then the senior leadership team did. This Seven years later, we got the most amazing letter of how that was the tipping point of change for this massive organization. How, 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 how? Because a final how gives hope. When I lost mm. the weight, you know, I, I couldn't do, it. it was too vague what people were saying. Eat less, exercise more. Well, what's that mean? And then I, 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 you also have to pick something you will do. Like if someone said mm -hmm. to me, I can never have ice cream again, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. I might do it for a time, but I will not do that long term. But I had to get to some house that I would do. And I got to some house that were absolutely clear. 
One other quick idea under this, and I'm going longer than I like. One little more back and forth. I love it. Keep going. Okay. This how idea can change the world for you. Um, When you do how, um, these how plans as teams, which we do at least every 90 days, you might do them weekly, depending on how your team is set. How, how, how meetings. We'll get to some problem we have, something we're trying to change, and we'll how it. And remember, a final how, when you're doing it individually, it's like, that's me, right? I'm, I'm not going to drink a calorie on the plane or I'm not going to whatever it is. How? Um, so it's, it's got to be one person. Co-leadership is terrible. Co-leadership is terrible. Collaborative leadership is excellent. When you do this on teams, yes, you got to collaborate, but one person. Quit giving it to Jill and Jack and Bill because you want to be inclusive Give it to a person. One person gives freedom. It gives peace. They can have healthy accountability. The data shows if you have more than one person on a final task, you have 50% less chance of it ever getting done. One person. This is the same in marriage, by the way. You, you, I'm not pushing any type, but I can speak to my own, you know, with my wife. And it's like, we all, we're all working hard, but when you can have clarity of roles, oh, you've got that. I've got that. Uh, if you're, if you're going to say, well, we're, we just don't, we share everything. That is peaceless. If you're unclear about any roles, you get home every night. Maybe you both get home from work. And what do you got to do? Rock, paper, scissors every night. Who's going to make the meal? Who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to mow the lawn? Who's going to? That is stressful. Clarity of roles wins. And someone will push back and say, well, I see two C. I I know this company with co-CEOs and they're thriving. The only place that's happening is when those co-CEOs actually have different roles and they know them. There's Mm. a person. So a final how has a person. A place. I'm going to work out. Well, if you don't, first of all, a time, a a time and a place. So a time. If I don't know it's 530 in the morning ahead of time, I won't do it. If I don't know the place, choices don't win. So if I get up at 530 in the morning, I'm like, I was either going to go for a run or I was going to go to the gym. My chances go down dramatically because I start to make other choices like I'm going to stay in bed. So how, how, how until somebody will do something by today or tomorrow. Two ideas under clarity. ODC, how, how, how. If you like those, we got to load more, but there you go. ODC, how, how, how. And you're right, you do have a load more. Part of what makes you so effective as a leader, speaker, teacher. By the way, um, you're speaking on stages all over the world, David, in some really big and large venues. And part of the reason that you're effective in those venues is you bring practical tools that people can use. We and believe so- the most motivating idea is not from someone who climbed Mount Everest, not that that couldn't be. But the most motivating idea is one I can use tomorrow morning. And yeah. I think we hear it all the time. Like uh, people say, they, what was the difference between this year and last year's keynote or whatever? They'll say, well, they said they had takeaways and it was a quote from Lincoln. You said you had takeaways and we were able to use it to solve this, right? So the, that I hope I bring that, the authenticity, fun, so engagement, and takeaways. And um, I, I, I just think that way because I know I needed it. It's like some of my-, my, my We all do. Bit, middle book of the three was just simple, like actionable three page takeaways that changed my life. Right. So, um, anyway. Yeah, we all do. Well, check David out on a stage on YouTube. Um, you're, you're such a clear communicator, which makes you effective. I want you to talk about commitment with the time that we have left. You said part of the reason people don't trust themselves is they fail to keep their own commitments. Talk about how commitment lends itself to trust. This is such a powerful one. You know, if I take anybody in my life or history, my mom, my dad, you know, uh, first grade teacher, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, or Joan of Arc, 
There's someone you can find that was trusted because they were committed to something beyond themselves, maybe to death. We trust those that are willing to be committed. Oh, you got a pandemic and you're going to jump? I'm not going to trust you. You're going to commit to stick with me through this? Wow, I might trust you. Commitment matters. I want to know you're going to commit. You're going to be with me. Um, I'm going to come back to what you said earlier, but uh, there's a load to commitment. So under this for us comes the accountability structure. How do you help create healthy commitment in organizations? It comes, how do you rebuild trust? I think this would be worth it in our short time to give one idea for how do you rebuild trust. We, if you have an oil mm-hmm. spill, uh, you, we got a 10-step process. If you're a company that had a big breach of trust, we have a 10-step process for how you rebuild trust. But whether you're a big company with an oil spill or an individual leader, and we've all made a mistake and broken trust at some point, and you need to rebuild it, it comes down to actually one thing, and it is not the apology. People are like, oh, I, I apologize. I'm done. You never rebuild trust on the apology. I'm not saying don't apologize. I'm saying you never rebuild trust on the apology. The only way to rebuild trust is to make and keep a new commitment. I mean, you've heard this, haven't you? I'm sorry I'm late. No, you're not. You're late every time. The apology didn't do it. Make and keep a new commitment, you have a chance. So there's an idea under commitment. There's a lot more, but we have to make and keep new commitments. Now, to your point on the, uh, um, the, the, the trusting yourself, I just really push people, don't make commitments so lightly because Mm. every time you make a commitment you don't keep, you lose trust in yourself and you start to believe no one can keep commitments, so you poison the team. Some people here have heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. What's it like someone who doesn't love themselves at all, the way God made them, that God made them? I mean, Mm. what what does that, what is that like? Someone who doesn't love themselves at all, they're not very fun to be around. It's the same with trust. If you, don't, if you don't trust yourself at all, you have a hard time believing it can be built in others, believing others could be trustworthy, and you certainly have a hard time you know, trusting yourself. The only way to trust yourself is to make and keep commitments. And so make commitments and keep them, and you'll, you, you can build that muscle. I remember one of the things with the weight loss for me was, was committing to giving someone $2,500 if, if it didn't make my high school weight by May 1st. And I just knew the big problem was if I don't make that weight, I'm going to lose trust with myself. Yes, I could hold the 2,500, but I'm going to lose trust with myself. So um, anyway, make and keep commitments. There's a lot more to commitment, obviously. But. Yeah, so good. Well, there's a lot more to all of this. And if you haven't read The Trusted Leader, you need to dig in, check it out. David, your work is so profoundly impactful. And again, we appreciate the way you keep the emphasis on practical application. I have two more just quick questions for you. The, the first is, what are you excited about? What are you working on today that you want our audience to be aware of what what's got David Horsager jacked up right now. There's so much, you know, we put out one of the biggest studies every year. We do this work in big organizations and measure trust. I believe if you're not measuring trust, you're not measuring, measuring the right thing because you're not closing the right gap. But one of the things mm-hmm. we're excited about is all of our certified partners around the world. I think we have them on six continents now. And, and that, that piece of these people that we're locking arms with, those, they could be independent business coaches that want to be certified and part of our community. They could be learning and development professionals inside of companies. That tribe of folks that are helping take this work forward and we're helping them take it forward and get results in their mm-hmm. sphere of influence, that's really fun. So it's, it's probably right now this whole piece of our Trusted Certified Partner community is a uh, really a, 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 a focus. We have an incredible platform, tech platform to back them up. We have measurement tools they get to use. We have, you know, these monthly calls and ways we serve them. But I'm, uh, that's been fun because, 
yes, I love focusing on big problems and all these companies I'm serving. And the best use of me still is either keynoting or going in for one executive full day to solve a big challenge. But I'm excited because it's so fun to see kind of this uh, kind of reproduction of folks that are actually even able to be better because they're able to contextualize it for their environment, right? And uh, so we're learning a lot together and it's a fun journey. So fun, man. Well, I just wish you had like more energy, you know, and a few more things going on. <laughs> you know, on. usually, you know how on podcasts, at least when I listen to them, I speed it up to one and a half, two times, right? Usually when I'm on, people don't have to do that. <laughs> That's so good. Well, hey, easy to listen to. Part of why you're an effective keynote speaker, man. Easy to listen to. Um, final question, man. If people want to learn more about you, by the way, we're going to link all of your information to the show notes. So just know if you don't catch us, um, they'll be in the show notes. Where do people find you today, David? TrustEdge.com. You can jump around from there. You can go to David Horsager, see my speaking. You can go to measure my, you know, MeasureMyTrust.com and these other places where you learn more. But TrustEdge.com. Trust, www.TrustEdge.com. That's, that's the place to jump from. Well, we so much appreciate your time. And more importantly, I appreciate what you're putting out into the world. You've got this values-based way of helping leaders, helping people build trust in themselves and build trust in others. And I think, again, part of what makes you great is your content is relevant for everyone. You know, sometimes you listen to a speaker or a coach, a thought leader, and you go, yeah, that content is relevant for a subset of people. Your content is relevant for literally everybody who's got a pulse, who's walking this planet and I just want to encourage you in your journey. Man, God has a supersized plan for how he's going to use you for the rest of your time here on earth. And I know that you're a person of faith. You love your family mm-hmm. and you're doing work that matters, brother. So I'm in your corner always. I just want to say thanks again for spending some time on the Montgomery Companies podcast. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate you. This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. I want to say thanks also to John Cho and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this episode go. If you enjoy listening to this show, if you're somebody who tunes in once in a while to our podcast, we'd love it if you'd officially subscribe so that we could move our mission of impact forward. This podcast is designed to help the leader go farther faster. We hope we've done that today. Be well, be great. Have a wonderful day.